We're glad to see you. We're in the book of Acts. The great thing about Jesus is it doesn't matter if you've missed, he knows exactly where you are and you're right on time and he can meet you exactly where you are. Uh, So we're going to be in Acts chapter 16 this morning. It's going to be on the screen. It's on your notes. If you've got a Bible or you've got one on your app, you can open that, but you can also just listen and you can just ask the Lord to do just what we said. Lord, give me a drink this morning. Let me taste and see that you're good and that it's real, that it once again, I can know this is a real thing. The meeting in Paris was held on May 24th, 2000, the Clay Mathematics Institute of Cambridge, Massachusetts established a competition. And they said there are seven unsolvable math problems most complicated math problems we can come up with in the world. If you can solve one, we'll give you a million dollars. Yeah. So I'm like, hey, I'm going to add. <laughs> I could do math. Um, so that was 2000. Six years pass. Seven problems. Unsolved, unsolved, unsolved. Until a Russian mathematician named Gregory Perelman solved the Poincaré conjecture. Sorry for my French. But more interestingly, he said, I don't want the money. I don't care about that. I just wanted to solve the problem. There are six left. If you're interested, the Ryman hypothesis has not been solved. The P equals NP. P versus NP problem. No problem. You could do that one. Hodge conjecture. Unsolved. Quantum Yang-Mills theory. Unsolved. Navier-Stokes equations. Unsolved. And the Birch and Swinerton Dyer conjecture. You may want to work on that one afterwards with me. We can do it. Unsolved. So if you're interested, I can put you in touch with the right people if you want to work on your math. But it caused me to think, and this is kind of, you guys know enough about me when I study. I'm a little random and things don't happen all sitting down in a nice orderly Lord, please tell me what you'd like to say from this passage. It happens all over the place. I'll be in the shower. I'll be going to sleep. I'll be working out and God just starts moving. And so I started thinking about difficult problems in people and in me and how God works. And I thought in a very complex, highly intellectual way, Jesus is good at math. Not only is he good at math, he created it. But not just math. He is the all and only wise God who knows all of the answers to every complex problem in our world and knows how to fix every human heart. Not only does he know how, he created the underlying forces and the physics and the processes and the materials. You know, all the stuff that makes stuff work. Don't you like that explanation? (laughs) There's a reason I'm doing this and not that. Hebrews 1 verses 2 says this, in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son, Jesus. If you didn't know, Jesus is our story. He is the story. God has appointed him heir of all things and made, oh yeah, just this little, little one and made the universe through him. What? That's what you should, when you read this stuff, you just be like, Made the universe through him. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact expression of his nature, 
sustaining all things by his powerful word, which that sounds a little Christian-y, but let's put it into perspective. When Jesus was being nailed to that, the guy who swung the hammer, his very heartbeat and his breath were held steady by the one who was being nailed. How about them apples? That's powerful. He could have stopped it at any moment, and yet he's upholding it. So he's not only the creator, he's not only the sustainer, he's a teacher. He could teach us, but sometimes he just needs to do the work. He needs to do what he can do in our hearts and in our problems in the world. We need his formula. We need the Jesus formula for fixing this. Lord, we talk about algorithm. We all like, isn't it amazing? We all use the word algorithm now. Even like 30 years ago, nobody was using it except for people that are interested in math. Nobody said, oh, the algorithm's getting you today. You'd be like, what? But we know that, right? We know when we're on our phone and all of a sudden an ad comes up for, like, I remember one time I was at the lake about to get into a boat. All of a sudden, Amazon popped up. These fishing lures are on sale. I'm like, what? How do you know where I am? like, who's there? It was the Amazon guy over in the woods <laughs> sending. But Jesus has the wisdom. He has the knowledge to fix the most complicated problems. Those six remaining unsolved math problems, Jesus would be like, hey, come here, five minutes. This one's this, this one's this. And we'd be like, I don't understand. You may say, I don't care about math problems, but I do have a problem. Can he fix that? Can he fix this brokenness? Can he fix me? Let's find out. Acts 16, verse 16. Once as we, this is Paul and Silas and their friends, were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. And she made a large profit for her owners. So let's put that in 2023. She made a truckload of money for the people who owned her. Okay, by telling the future, fortune telling. As she followed Paul and us, she cried out. And I thought this week when I thought about this voice, I put voices to text. Like I, I try to think about what does the voice sound like? And so I just kept thinking, Wizard of Oz, Wicked Witch of the West. Ready? <laughs> These men who were proclaiming to you a way of salvation, they're servants of the most high God. I'll get you, my pretty. <laughs> Couldn't help it. She did this for many days. And you want a verse to memorize? Here is your verse to memorize. This is like one of the greatest verses in the whole Bible. Paul was greatly annoyed. Do you know any Bible verses? Yeah. Paul was greatly annoyed. <laughs> I am greatly annoyed too. You know some Bible. Good. Awesome. He was greatly annoyed that she was doing this and turning to her. Nope. Turning to the spirit. He said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. It came out right away. Luke so kind the way you wrote that. So nice. It came out right away. No. 
What do we know about anything, any movies that have ever been made about demon possession and things like that? You know, like whatever, like something, something happened that was nicely put. And Luke's like, they don't need to know that. They don't need to know that. And I'm like, just they do, Luke, come on. When her owners realized that their hope of profit was gone, they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them to the marketplace to the authorities and bringing them before the chief magistrates, they said, these men are, they are seriously disturbing our city. Don't you love it? It's like, I can't come up with anything better. (laughs) This sounds like a Facebook post to me. They are seriously disturbing our city. And you know what? They are doing things that are just, they're illegal. This is illegal what they're doing. We should not allow them to keep doing what they're doing because it is seriously disturbing. This is what's happening. These are the guys and they were convincing. They said, oh yeah, and they're Jews too. So the people joined in and there's a mob and they said, yeah, same way we do sometimes social media. Yeah, I don't even know what you're talking about, but this sounds fun. This is, you're so wrong. What are we talking about again? This is so wrong. They stripped off their clothes, ordered them to be beaten with rods after they had severely flogged them. Do a little research on flogging back then. Usually many times beat them to within an inch of their life. Okay? So it's not like, don't do that. Don't do, it's like bad, bloody mess. Then they threw them in jail and they ordered the jailer, hey, guard them carefully. Receiving such an order, he said, I'm not going to put you in the outer prison. I'm going to put you in the inner prison. We're going deep into the prison. And then I'm not just going to let you walk around. He put their feet in the stocks. Formulas are a way to usually achieve an answer to a problem. Or let's say you want to make a complex chemical compound. You need the formula because you could mess yourself up. If you're dealing with volatile materials, we need the formula. So usually though, there is something that needs to be solved. Hey, we need something that will do this. Well, how do we do that? Well, we need the formula so we can make this and it can do this. Or here's a problem. We need to solve it. Give us the formula, we'll solve it. But there's always a, pro- a problem. There's a problem that needs a solution. So what's the problem? Part one of the Jesus formula. The problem? Her. Demon girl. I just want you to look at her for a while. She's a slave girl. Now let's do a little quick paradigm shift in how we look at the Bible. People that don't believe could be you this morning. It's fine. It's where you are. Say things like this. Why doesn't the Bible just come out and say, there was a slave girl? Parentheses, slavery is wrong. We really want the Bible to do that, don't we? We just, just tell me, just tell me. Luke's like, that's not what I'm trying to do in this story. I'm just telling you what was going on. I'm telling you what was there. But if you read the Bible as a whole, if you read the whole story, you see that God is unraveling the things that make up something like slavery. The closest we get is in the book of Philemon, who was a slave owner. I don't know if you knew that. That letter was written to a slave owner. He had a slave named Onesimus. Onesimus ran away. 
and in the process met Paul and in the process met Jesus and came to Christ. And so Paul said, hey, I want you to go back to where we're all like, slavery is wrong. Paul, write a letter to Philemon and tell him he's a tool. He needs to repent. He needs to get on his face. And no, this is awful. It's very Western. It's kind of how we are. I think that way. It's just like, just give it to him. Give it to him straight. Instead, he says, I'm sending him back and I want you to treat him like a brother. Hmm. That's subtle. God does that sometimes, but you can draw wisdom. Even if right here in this really simple paradigm shift for you, when you read this about a story about slavery, and you don't see the Bible jumping off the page to tell you slavery should be over, by the way. This is awful. You can, you can pull. It's implied, so it's there. But she's got a spirit, and she can predict the future. You may be like, that's just bull. None of that happens. In the Bible, we've got Saul, King Saul, who is impatient. And he, you know what he does? He summons the ghost of Samuel. I don't know how that came, but all I can think about is Jacob Marley. <laughs> Saul, why have you awakened me? Ghosts. Yeah. A spiritual realm. There is a demonic spirit that has control of this girl. And she, this is really interesting. She's speaking truth. She's actually telling the truth about, she doesn't say, I know that you follow a God who's pretty good. She says the most high God. That's code for there's nobody higher. A way to salvation. They are, and over and over, she is beating this drum day after day. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. Spirit comes out. And this is, no, we're doing surface. This is the basics. Owners are upset. They lost their business. They tell on them. They bring in the heavies with the magistrates. These guys are disturbing our city. Everybody agrees. They beat them. They throw them in prison. So I'm going to let you in on a little bit of my growth process over the last few years. I've heard plenty of sermons on this story. And you know what I always went away with is this. Yeah, persecution's coming. Better get ready. Going to get thrown in prison going to be bad people. There are bad people out there. There's evil out there. This is light and dark. This is goodness and evil. And Paul and Silas, God's team, everybody else, evil. That's a surface, shallow, kiddie pool with pee in it reading. <laughs> Sorry. But it is. It's shallow and I need to grow past that. And I am. I'm trying. I'm learning. So I want to go deep. I want to put out into deep water, Lord, and I want to read and see a deeper theme. And so, God, what's happening? You ask questions, Lord, what is your purpose for letting this happen? You ever ask God that? Why would you let something bad happen to this person? Have you ever been mad about that? I have. How could this be, Lord? So the shallow reading, though, is culture war reading. Paul and Silas are the only Christians. Everybody else, part of the kingdom of darkness. It's reductionistic. It's paper thin. It's that everybody better get on Jesus' side or be left in the dust. Boom! So let's watch how God's going to get them because they have attacked the servants of God and you do not do that. Right? What am I missing? Lord, what am I missing? If you focus on the fact that this is a demonic spirit 
that's annoying the servants of God, you might miss her. It's a girl. Somebody's little girl, daughter, who's been taken captive. Her heart is held captive. Her mind is held captive. She's just a girl. She's not the problem. She is part one of a very complex Jesus formula. I see, as I look deeper, a God who knows how to rescue people. He has his eyes on the prize and she is the prize. Okay, we want, to, we want to start seeing things this way. But if we look on the surface, just at the basics, what do we say? This is out of control. They've just been beaten within an inch of their life. All they were doing is proclaiming the gospel. We need to talk about religious freedom. This isn't right. You can't do this to people. And Jesus looks at them in stocks, in chains, beaten up. And he looks at the girl and he looks at them and he says, Paul and Silas, you are right where I need you. I got more going on. You're going to have to trust me. Trust me. This will work. I am good at math. Jesus knows how to do math. So let's watch verse 25 about midnight. Paul and Silas were praying and singing. What? What? Praying and singing hymns to God. And this doesn't mean that they were singing, when people hear hymns, they're like, yeah, man, hymns. None of this garbage. <laughs> Hymn is another word for song, okay? There have been different songs throughout the generations. They're all beautiful as long as they point to Christ, as long as they point to the truth of Scripture, different generations. So they're singing what were to them the hymns and songs of the early church in the time. And so they're singing and the prisoners are, what, what are they doing? They're listening to them. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake. The foundations of the jail were shaken. Immediately all the doors were opened and everybody's chains come loose. The jailer wakes up. He sees the doors of the prison standing open and he pulls out his sword and he sticks it in his heart. And they're like, no, he's about to shove it through him because he would have been killed by his boss anyway for letting that happen. He's going to kill himself. Don't harm yourself. We're all here. Hmm. Jailer calls for lights. He rushes in and he falls down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he says, please come out, sirs. What must I do to be saved? Hey, man, talk about a softball. It's like, Lord, I want to do ministry for you. Come on beach ball. I don't know if I can hit it. What must I do to be saved? It doesn't get any more clear. That's not like, hey, I've been thinking about spiritual things. Mm, me too. This is what do I do? I want to be saved. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. He took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Right away, he and all his family got baptized. He said, come on into my house, sit down. I'm going to feed you. They rejoiced 
because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. Part one of the Jesus formula is the girl. Part two of the Jesus formula is the jailer. This plus this is going to equal amazing. Jesus, notice Jesus has people in his formula. I love that. People make up his processes. I have to imagine that Roman prisons were not rudimentary children's play forts made of cardboard boxes. They were made to keep people locked up. Do we think Paul and Silas might have been struggling a little bit here mentally? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Just because they believe in Jesus doesn't mean it isn't hard and doesn't believe that they're not in pain and that they're not having a hard time. Was one of them, you may have a friend like this, or you may switch these roles. Was one of them the positive one? And the other one was a little more prone to get down. Let's say Paul was the one who could have a great day. And then the next day he's like, man, I'm just down the dumps today. I'm kind of like that. I can have a great day. And then the next day it's like, oh, sad and depressed. So maybe that was Paul. And maybe in this moment, he's like, I don't want to sing. I don't want to sing one more freaking song, (laughs) him or not. I don't want to sing. And maybe... Silas was the positive one. And maybe Paul was like, I don't like that you're so positive. These are people, by the way. They're not robot Christians. They're people. We have these moments when somebody's trying to cheer us up. You're like, no, I will not be cheered up. Why are you smiling? I'm not. I'm upset. So maybe Silas said, Paul, come on. One more song. At the same time saying, Paul, I think, I think I broke something. And maybe he's that guy that's like, I think I have a broken leg. (laughs) It's kind of crazy. I think it's broken. That person that laughs when they have those kind of things. And the other person who's like, oh my goodness, my finger hurts. I can't go to church. (laughs) Contrast the different people. But I see Silas as this guy who's like, come on, one more song. Let's sing. And so they start singing and Paul's maybe kind of giving a half effort. And Silas is like, come on. So, okay, okay, let's sing. Meanwhile, the prisoners are like, okay. (laughs) Who are these guys? Is this human willpower? Some measure of fortitude where you just man up and get positive about things. No, this is a combination of being somebody made in the image of God. There's a peace inside of you, no matter how broken you are, no matter how much you give yourself to things that you know aren't good for you. God says he's placed eternity in your heart. He's made you for himself. And so you find yourself at the end of one of those moments where you've totally just given yourself over to something. You know it's not right. And you have this ache that's like, Lord, is there there any way you can do something? This is the ability to get to this moment and turn it into we're going to worship and we're going to praise is a combination of that, God putting that in them, 
but having also been rescued by the resurrected Son of God and the Holy Spirit is in their life and there is power in this moment. I don't know how the formula works, but I can tell you that it works. I don't know how to get it working sometimes, but I can tell you that it works. God does this crazy thing in the darkest moments where something happens. There's worship, there's a pursuit of joy, there's encouragement. And guess what? It's all happening before anything supernatural has happened. There's no earthquake yet. They're singing and praying. God can affect the physical world in a supernatural way. Yeah, we see it happening. We see it all over the scripture, but he hasn't yet. And they're singing and they're praying and they're standing and believing that what they believe is still true. But I bet there were a few moments where they had some not so great thoughts where they were thinking, what are we doing? <laughs> what were we thinking? I didn't sign up for this. And yet the spirit of God pushes them to worship and to prayer. That can happen. That's all I'm saying. I'm not even telling you how, how God does it, but it can happen. It's happened to me. There've been people in my life. So then there is a suddenly, there's a suddenly. Were there prayers and hymns part of the miracle? I don't know. Were they doing it because they loved Jesus and the spirit of God was at work in them? Absolutely. And then there's a suddenly, it's an earthquake. It's a Jesus quake and all the doors, not their door, all the doors, other prisoners, all the chains, everybody's chains come off. This is supernatural. And it's easy to go the shallow route again. God is amazing. He's fighting for Paul and Silas. You can't stop the kingdom of God. Get up and get out of there. But then something crazy happens. They don't leave. They don't leave. They stay put. So I start asking questions. If you want to save a jailer, how can you get close to him? How can you unlock his heart? We're going to have to unlock some doors. We're going to have to unlock some chains. We're going to have to give the spirit to those guys in that moment. Eh, they're going to be beaten. They're going to have some doubts. Yeah, one of them's not going to want to sing. The other one will. Okay, 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 okay. We got to get him in there. Jesus formula somehow has a little girl, official people, jailers, other prisoners, and it involves his servants being locked up in, in a really dark place, being almost beaten to within an inch of their life. And God says, mm-hmm, this will work. This will work. I can, I can work with this. The shallow view about the jailer, you're a jerk. You're an enemy. Kill yourself. Yep, that's right. Shove that sword on through. You deserve it. You were beating me earlier. You locked me in these chains. God will get you. It's not what they do though. The kingdom of God calls us deeper and it calls us higher, a higher view of the value of people, everyone made in his image. So Paul calls out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself. We're still here. Nobody's left. Nobody leave. <laughs> kind of like making sure, hey, no, sit. Don't. Everybody's here. Your job is safe. Why does he care? Why stay put? Show me one Hollywood movie where the prison break results in the falsely imprisoned pleading with the jailer not to hurt himself. 
that movie doesn't exist. Our movies, somehow the prisoners get out and they've got like two machine guns and they're like, jailer. Then they escape and they're like, woo. But here it is in scripture. Don't hurt yourself. We're staying. Something in them told them to stay. The spirit of God said, don't move. Something's about to happen. The doors and the chains weren't the only thing I'm unlocking today. Stay put. And why did everybody stay put? Simple answer. Jesus is good at spiritual math, chemistry, biology, psychology, philosophy, sociology, anthropology. He knows all of the ologies. He knows the formula. He knows what to do. He knows how to move the parts, all the pieces on the chessboard, whatever your metaphor is. He knows what he's doing. And so the jailer rushes in and asks for an oil lamp and throws the biggest softball ever. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus. That's it. Sweet. I believe. Guess I'm done, right? Well, no. We don't hear what he said when it says that verse. Then he went and spoke the word of the Lord to the family and to him, which I, sometimes I read and I'm like, Luke, come on, man. Just what did you say? We spoke the word of the Lord. It's like veggie tales. Message from the Lord. <laughs> okay, awesome. Received. Tell me what you said. It doesn't say that. It says they spoke. The word. So I'm imagining that there was a long conversation and a lot of storytelling and a lot of this and this and this about Jesus and about the kingdom of God and what happened to Paul. You should believe too. Enough for the guy to go, okay, I'm in. But what we do have, and it's in the text, we can see what happened to his family and what happened to his heart. Because what does it tell us? Something happened with baptism. Something happened where he's like, let's do this. And baptism is not just a public declaration from you to the world that you love Jesus. There's something you're declaring in the spiritual realm to said demonic forces that you belong to Jesus. There's something powerful being declared. And so he gets baptized. There's conviction about how Paul and Silas were treated that prompted a tremendous response. Think about this. The jailer, probably kind of a hard-nosed guy. He's used to saying in colorful language, shut up, you're staying in there forever. You know, like him, he's the jailer. He's not the nice guy. What's he doing with his family, his wife, something? Yeah, give me that water, clean water, a cloth, maybe some sort of medicine. And he is washing their back. And they're like, oh, oh. He's like, I'm sorry. I, I don't usually do this. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing, but I want to do something to make this right. I feel convicted about this. I want to do something. And so he cleans them up. He washes their wounds. And then he says, would you like to come into my house? Can we, can we feed you? Will you sit down at our table? Would you honor us? by sitting at our table and they had a meal and they were laughing and rejoicing about his being saved. And I bet Paul and Silas sitting there, maybe hard to sit down from the way they'd been beaten, sitting at that table, their backs sore, but bellies full, hearts full and going, okay, Lord, okay, we are getting the picture. The girl the jailer, you're doing something. 
True transformation in Jesus Christ cannot be mere mental assent. I believe, I said it, I'm there Monday through Saturday. I live like hell, but hey, what, what does that matter? I believe. No, there's change. There's transformation. You become somebody different. You can't continue to live the way you've been living. But God isn't quite done yet. Last few verses, verse 35. Daylight came. The chief magistrate sent the police to say, release those men. We made a mistake. The jailer reported these words to Paul. Hey, good news. Great news. The magistrates have sent orders for you to be released. So come on out and go in peace. And Paul says to them, no. I'm sitting right here. So this is one of those moments in scripture where you go, okay. Because scripture is not written for everything to be prescriptive. Said he did this. Okay, I'm going to go do that tomorrow. That's not how it works. There's a story being told here. Sometimes it's just telling you what happened. Sometimes you get the kind of underbelly of somebody's thoughts. A couple weeks ago, what did we get from Paul? Paul thinks John Mark's a tool. Paul's in process. Paul needs to grow. So I read this and I was like, what's happening here? Why is he doing this? Just go, man. Just go. You're free. God saved the jailer. He saved the little girl. You're out. He's like, no. We're staying right here. They beat us publicly without a trial. And we are Roman citizens. Hmm. Then they threw us in jail. And now they're going to send us away secretly? I don't think so. Certainly not. On the contrary, let them come themselves and escort us out. So I'm reading this this week and I'm like, what are you doing, Paul? What is wrong with you? Just leave it. Just leave. You ever have that moment where you're, you know, it's a restaurant or something. You're, you're upset about the food or, you know, somebody cuts you off and you're like, no, I'm going to get them. And you're like on their tail and your spouse or somebody's like, what are you doing? It's like nothing. Just. Okay. Yeah, you're right. That was wrong. I shouldn't do that. I, mean, I, I, I don't really mean that. The food is great. It's good. No problems. Nope. No problems. Paul, leave it. It's everything's good. No. They are going to come here and own up to what they did. They have to come in public. So the police go back to the magistrates and they're like, yeah, a little problem. They kind of want you to come down there, you know, like do a little thing, stand there in front of everybody and say, hey, everybody, we made a mistake. And you can put a little ribbon on them and kind of say, we can give you the key to the city. And now you're our best friends. Okay, so that's kind of what they're doing. They go back and so the magistrates are like, oh no, they're Roman citizens. Shoot, man, we're going to be canceled. It's so awful. <laughs> so they eat some crow. Good old Kentucky Fried Crow. KFC, come on. So they go. <laughs> that's what my sister calls it. I like Kentucky Fried Chicken. It's the secret recipe. Come on. So they go down there to appease these guys. That's a nice way of saying they go to eat some serious crow. And escorting them from prison, they're like, we're our bad, our bad. We, we were wrong. We were so wrong. Like these guys are great, Rome, upstanding Roman citizens. Good job, you know. And so, and then they're saying, okay, we did the, th can you just, can you just leave? Can you just leave? I just want you to leave. I, we just don't want you here. Like, I know you're like all this kingdom of God stuff, but just leave. So they left. After leaving the jail, verse 40, 
they came to Lydia's house. And we talked last week, this is where the church in Philippi started, the book of Philippians written to this little house church. They saw and encouraged the brothers and sisters and departed. Part one, the girl. Part two, the jailer. Part three of the Jesus formula is the house church. So I want you to look at this picture kind of as we talk a little bit about the church, because this is not a great look for the church, is it? If that was your marketing for your church, come to our church. We don't have coffee. Chains. It's a great time. It's not a great look, is it? But is this the church? I'd say yes. This is the church. They are members of the body of Christ. They are also helping to build the church, not a building, but living stones. And they're eventually going to go and hang out at a house church, Lydia's house. And then they're going to leave and they're going to keep building the church. Sounds complicated, but not for Jesus. He knows how to do this formula. So I just want to talk a minute about this whole thing of Paul appealing to his rights as a Roman citizen. I found that very perplexing this week. Because if there's anything that's difficult to discuss right now in our culture, it is this. What does it mean to be a believer in Jesus? To both believe that there are natural laws and rights and that we should push for, pray for, pursue, stand up for things that are right and just and good. And we have another side that says our battle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers and the principles and the authorities of the dark underworld. You're like, I don't really know how to do either of those things well. And so what happens is people go into camps and they, people that are in this camp of being out there and doing something good in the name of Jesus, they get mad at the people that are over here who are fighting in the spiritual world, right? And then the people that are over here fighting in the spiritual world say, compromise, compromise, compromise. You don't really love Jesus. And Paul does both. He does both. He says, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. <laughs> and by Roman law, now, is Rome a righteous government? Caesar says he is God. Oops. Yet he is appealing to Caesar. He is appealing to the laws of Roman culture to say this is wrong. Why do societies have laws that are good and some laws that are bad? Anything that is good in the world that you notice and your heart says, that's good. That has to be good. Now that's really bad, but that has to be good. Guess where that came from? God. Anytime you see some sort of measure of common grace at work in the world, you can celebrate that. You're not going to betray Jesus, even if it is <gasps> for the party that you don't support. As followers of Jesus, we should, no matter what our political affiliation, be able to say, you know, I usually stand on this side, but I'm looking over there and I see some things that I say that had to come from God. That principle, that rule, that law is good. Now, I don't like that. I don't like that, but I really like that. And if you say it out loud, what are your people going to say? Traitor. But it also should mean that you should be able to go over to your side and say, this is good. This is bad. 
That's our Geneva, Switzerland role as followers of Jesus. We're the neutral because our allegiance is not, as, as some people wrote in a new book called Truth Over Tribe, our allegiance is not to the donkey or the elephant, it is to the lamb. We can be here and still celebrate when we see good, which is why if you are alive and you read the news over the last couple of days in my home state of Tennessee, Memphis, Tyree Nichols, I can look at that and I can say, Lord, it's so wrong. It's so wrong. What happened to him? Even though the people that did it are supposed to represent good and right and law, I can say that wasn't. And I'm not betraying anybody. I'm showing my allegiance to Christ when I do that. And people can still say, oh, you can't say that. You can't bring in. Why don't you just keep your Jesus stuff in the church? Don't bring it out in the world. <laughs> Guess what? Our end, the whole end game thing for God is that heaven comes down. This place doesn't burn up. It doesn't burn up. It says heaven joins here. Now, what if you die right now? Where do you go? You go to an intermediate state. If you know Jesus, you are with him. But eventually when he returns, heaven comes back. This place is made Eden again. We live in a renewed heaven and earth. The kingdom of God, God with us, ruling and reigning with him. And so if you say, keep that stuff in the church, Jesus is like, no, <laughs> no. And it doesn't mean we pursue a theocracy, which means God is our leader in America and we will make sure that every, you know, that's not what we do, but we can celebrate when we see the good. I know I'm going on and on, but I want to just give you a taste because Paul does it. So we need to talk about it. We need to say, yeah, but then there's another side of him that is like, and now I'm going to go pray. You're going to do what? You're just appealing about Roman law and everything. And you want them to come do a public apology. Now you're going to go pray? Yeah. Because I got to get some other stuff done. And I got to see some more goodness and justice and righteousness and the gospel go forth to another place. And I'm going to get that done in prayer. So there's a tension there and it's okay. And I can't solve it. And I may have ruffled some feathers. Uh, I'm not sorry. Because I need my feathers ruffled and they have been. Over the last few years, I have had this very thing. God has said, get out of the kiddie pool filled with pee and go deep. I want you to go deep, Chad. No more excuses. You cannot come to this next election in a couple of years and wade in the shallows where you actually see people that I've made as enemies of you. No, no, no. You're going to follow. I've asked you to follow. We see it at work here with Paul. So final thing that happens. Why the little girl? Why the jailer? Why the magistrates? Honestly, I don't even think that was just about Paul and his rights. I think that was a little bit about, I want to talk with these guys because they're image bearers too. They go to Lydia's house, house church, and maybe, just maybe there were some new faces. Is this Lydia's house? Yeah. Hey, sweetie, what's your name? Little girl steps in, clean, 
in her right mind, calm. And maybe Lydia goes, wait, I, oh, what happened to you? Girl on the street, maybe. She's set free by Jesus. I need a place to hang with other people who love him. Hello, whoa, I heard about you. Oh, and this must be your, I heard you're looking for a new job. You know, it's not fun to work in a smelly old jail anyway. Welcome. And who knows, maybe weeks, months later, a certain magistrate or a certain policeman or a prisoner who happened to slip out too, <laughs> that when his chains came off, shows up and says, we are hearing some things about Jesus and we would like to follow. How did Jesus build his church? What does it mean to be the church and not just go to church? Who knows how to solve the most complicated issues in our world as well as change the human heart? Who's got the formula? Sunday school answer, Jesus, King of Kings. Mariah and your team, why don't you guys come on up? Lord, we thank you for your word and Lord, I'm so challenged. I, I just, I love that I, even reading this week that I, you just started pointing out people to me, you just people and that I wasn't ready to skip over them and see them as an enemy, but God, that I saw them as a prize that you were after. Lord, that it involved difficulty for Paul and Silas and some hard moments, Lord, it's, it's still hard for us. But Jesus, I see, and I even puts into perspective Paul's words that he would write to the church in Rome. We know that God works together for good, all things for those who love him. Lord, give us that perspective. This morning, our heart, our life may be the complicated, twisted problem. Holy Spirit, would you sweep in and move and, and break chains, Lord. Break chains of our hearts. And God, there are others that we come to mind, friends, our sons, our daughters, our family members, our coworkers, Lord, maybe people that we wouldn't even put in any of those categories. We would just say, I just don't like that person. God, we bring them to you this morning. We picture their faces right now and we say, Complicated, Lord. Complicated. Lord, apply your wisdom, apply your creative power, your unlocking ability, and use us, Lord. Use us. Let us not stay shallow. Let us go deep. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you would like, let's stand together and sing.